0: This Winners of Wealth Tech episode is special for me because I get to interview my friend, Aaron Shum. I've known Aaron for over 11 years. Man, time flies. I was running a project for Pershing uh, when they were looking for an outsourcing partner, an outsourcing technology partner, to help them with block trading and rebalancing. We, and I was running that project for Pershing as a consultant and um, we looked at a lot of vendors and uh, uh, finally picked Folio Dynamics, which was, uh, one of, Aaron was one of the founders, and uh, they're Pershing still using Folio Dynamics system uh, code for their block trading rebalancing today in NetX 360. Uh, so, seeing seen Aaron through a lot, so almost the beginnings of Folio there, and then through the sale of Folio, then through the his starting of Swell, and really watched him kind of take the industry by storm with his own company, and it's been uh, it was an honor to be able to interview him and uh, find out a little bit more about his background, a lot of things I didn't know, a lot of questions and things I wanted to find out about uh, how he got started and some of his motivations. And I think uh, this was one of my one of my finest witness of wealth tech episodes. I really did a great job on that, and you're gonna really enjoy this, and you're gonna enjoy listening to uh, my interview with Aaron Shum this episode of wealth management today is brought to you by ezra group consulting broker dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors and the technology ecosystem is a key part Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. And Welcome to this episode of the winners of Wealth Tech for the Wealth Management Today podcast. And I'm joined uh, for this episode by Aaron Schum, the founder and CEO of Vestwell. Aaron, welcome. Thank
1: you, Craig. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: I, I appreciate you being here. And congratulations on being this month's winner of Wealth Tech. Thank you. It's quite it's a exciting. huge honor, I understand. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's great. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, there's no trophy or monetary prize, but you do get the interview, and you do get uh, you get the bragging rights as as a winner of wealth. <laughs> That's great. And uh, what I wanted to do was um, I know we we'd been talking a little bit earlier, but I wanted to kind of go back and talk about uh, how you got into the industry. And one thing that was interesting when I was doing some research was that your your father actually got you interested in, in investing in the stock market.
1: He did, yes, at a very young age. I remember vividly, I think it was in eighth grade, where I kind of made this uh, determination that, or, or set the course that I was going to go into finance and be a stockbroker. Um, my dad was, he was actually he's a retired carpenter, um, but he always had this affiliation for for the markets. And, and I remember, you know, all the time he'd come home from dinner or come home from work and we'd be sitting at the dinner table and he would talk about, you know, kind of what was going on in the markets. and. I always found it really fascinating, you know, I enjoy the mathematical side of things. And um, so that actually kind of set my course uh, in undergrad to go into finance with the, you know, idea that I was going to go into something. And, you know, at that time it was brokerage and then I kind of quickly realized I didn't want to be a stockbroker, but, but still had this uh, attraction towards, towards the financial services side of the industry.
0: Isn't it interesting how you kind of get to something, something introduced to you when you're young and... Some people seem to know what they want early. Like I was the same way with computers, but like you knew in eighth grade, I, I want to get into finance.
1: Yeah, for better or worse, it was interesting. You know, would I make the same choice now? Who knows? But uh, but it, it's it's been great to me so far.
0: Indeed. So I think you're doing pretty well. If I could if I could say so myself, you know. So we've known each other for a while, man. I mean, it's, it goes back when you start when I start thinking about how long it's been. But I never knew you had a football scholarship
1: yes yes i uh I played a lot of sports all growing up you know from soccer for five years, quit that actually to play uh american football uh, baseball track basketball, volleyball, so I was kind of all over it, uh hence why my joints are not what they used to be but uh,
0: <laughs> I, uh yeah, join the club
1: <laughs> yeah so i uh uh I had this drive to be uh to go to college to play football, not really be in the the Notion that I would ever go pro, but I wanted to play division one. I wanted to start and I wanted to pay for college because I was put the bill for it anyway. Um, so that was kind of my, my three criteria. So, um, was lucky enough to obtain a scholarship, uh, that quickly was lost after I blew up my knee, um, in in high school, but, uh, all for the best. Cause I
0: injured knee in high school, not
1: in college. Yeah, I injured it uh, as I would, I had already made the, the acceptance to go to uh, Kentucky and then blew out my knee and then they were kind of, you know, at one of my games and saying, hey, what happened here? <laughs> uh, and uh, after I kind of went through it, you know, back then it was far more risky to have knee surgery than it is these days. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, but it, it set the course and that's how I ended up at University of Illinois and uh, which was a great business school. And that. You know, still I was like, "Hey, I want to do finance. I want to go to a good business school." Illinois had a great business school at the time; they still do, and uh, and that was kind of how the the decision was made, really.
0: And, and it's crazy how those things happen. Like, you know, if what if you hadn't blown out your knee and you go to Kentucky, you might have done something totally different. Right? I'm, it would have been
1: fun. I mean, this is back when they were uh, they had a solid team. Uh, mm-hmm. Couch was playing there, and um, yeah, it would have been fun, but. You know, if I would rewind, I would probably stick with soccer. That's probably the only sport I still play a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, little easier um, these days than getting hit in a in a football game. Oh,
0: yeah, tell me about it, man. It's 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 crazy the way those injuries come up. But so when you you when you graduated with your with your finance degree, how did you wind up at Northern Trust? That was your first job, right? Northern Trust.
1: Yes, that was my first job, uh, out of undergrad. So, so my internship was actually at a company called ever securities. If you remember them, they were, um, they were a brokerage firm acquired by wheat first and first union and Wachovia and Wells Fargo, um, was kind of the, the lineage there. Um, but so that was actually my first un- unknowingly exposure to managed accounts, uh, during my internship. After that, uh, You know, my after I graduated undergrad, um, I got a job at Northern Trust doing uh, in the large corporate ERISA side of the equation, uh, doing kind of large corporate pension plan analysis and working with asset managers, uh, in that realm with the likes of like Lucent and Honeywell and Mm -hmm. Avaya, guys like that. And uh, uh, so it's kind of interesting how it all has. Come full circle in my career, and really yeah. zero idea what was going to happen. I didn't know what I was
0: doing. You come on, you planned it that way, <laughs> right? You it's were like, at Northern Trust as a portfolio analyst, going, "I'm going to start a company to automate all this one day."
1: I had no idea what I was doing. It was funny. I left there. Uh, I worked there for two years. Um, then I left there and came to New York City uh, with this grand aspiration of going to be uh, an asset manager. Mm. And uh, I was, you know, studying for the CFA and and started going down that path. And and everyone I talked to in the asset management space said, "Hey, you need to know this software program um, to kind of really be in this this industry." And it was the managed accounts industry. Mm-hmm. And that software program was uh, a program called APL, uh, which at the time was owned used to be owned by Security APL, then was acquired mm-hmm. by Checkfree, right? Um, and and then now, Checkfree is is owned by Fiserv, um, but so Checkfree actually offered me a job when I first moved to New York City, kind of jobless kid, just just showing up, saying I'm gonna I'm gonna find something and make it work. And Checkfree was like, Listen, we'll hire you. Uh, you you you'll learn this program called APL, um, and I became a product manager there. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of what I, how I first cut my teeth, really, in the financial technology space. I had zero idea what I was doing. I was just this annoying kid who just kept asking why all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and they were really gracious and supportive and uh, kind of encouraged me to, to explore that. And uh, that was really kind of what gave me, I, I guess, that curiosity is really kind of what, what drove me into this space and, and kept me here.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's get another another interesting circumstance how you got into check free because that's you know, check free APL is sort of like the, the the place where a lot of people came from. It was it was an epicenter for managed accounts at the time, and a lot of people in the industry who went on to big careers just like yourself uh, came out of that that check free group.
1: Yeah, I mean they they were you know, a huge leader in the space and the managed account, I mean, I forget what the market share was, but it was, it was, uh, just, you know, they had the vast majority of the space covered. Um, what's that? 70% I think. Yeah. So it was something like that. It was like 70, 80%. I mean, it it was, uh, it was great. And when I was there on the financial services arm, which, you know, that I, I was employed under, um, it was relatively small, you know, a couple hundred people at the time probably. Um, so it was fun. It was a great culture. Uh, Cheryl Nash was there still running the, the that side of the space there. And she was kind of the first boss and, uh, in the space and, you know, we're still friends to this day and, and she's, she was awesome. And kind of, they were just, they had a great culture that they created there and, and it was fun. And, and so they, I became a product manager and, um, you know, kind of came, uh, started working on this idea. Uh, which became, was, we called it multi-strategy portfolios, but it actually became known in the industry as unified managed accounts. And that was kind of my world that, that I got to help create. And it was a lot of fun and became kind of an industry staple these days.
0: It sure is. You know, a lot of my businesses is, is implementing UMA programs for, for, you know, selecting UMA technology, implementing UMA programs. So it's still, it's not as big as they thought it was going to be. You know, it didn't. Revolutionize the industry, but it certainly is is a is a strong component of the managed account business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think from uh, I think about it, I guess now from the tech side of it, and then our underlying architecture, the way that you know tax lots were looked at, and and how tax efficiency was really managed at scale, um, is still applied across really anything in a taxable uh, you know wealth management account today. Um, we, you know whether it's in the construct of a formal UMA or not you know it is up for argument but but the but the the philosophy and how it's actually treated uh still holds true you know all the way back to you know what that was what 17 years ago
0: mm-hmm. it was yeah time flies so what, what was one of the biggest things you learned you got out of your experience at uh at Pfizer APL you know I I think it was just
1: really I think just to ask why um and you know and and not only from the context of like, hey, you know, I can do this better, but just kind of really under- putting yourself in someone's shoes to figure out why things were done a certain way or approached a certain way. Um, and oftentimes what I found was it was just generally accepted to be done a certain way. Um, and no one was really. I guess that interested, well, I shouldn't say no one, but I mean, there were people that are interested, but but there there wasn't a big drive for a lot of people to kind of upset the apple cart, right? Mm-hmm. And just say, well, you know, I was just looking at things. Well, why would you map a security this way? Or why would you look at tax loss this way? And what if you did it this way? What if you did it this way? And Checkery was great. And they just said, hey, that, that's a great idea. Here's a couple developers, you know, go figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how my product team got formed, really. Right. Uh, and that's, that's kind of, it all came to be, but I learned a lot. You know, you also learn what not to do, you know, right. and what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, I, I think in any, any job and in, in any experience, I think that's one of the big takeaways, people, I always encourage people, you know, uh, at our company or, you know, or especially the younger folks that are coming in and the interns, you know, kind of how to look at things. I was like, you know, just as much as you learn what to do, you should also learn what not to do, uh, and apply things differently.
0: That's a very good advice. And so you're at the, you're at the peak of managed accounts. You're in a, a company that's growing leaps and bounds, has, has a huge, tremendous market share. You're there for, for, for three and a half years or so. And then what happens? What, what, what pushes you, what gets you to move on from that?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I was in grad school at the time and I was going to getting my MBA at Duke uh, and I was living in New York um, and I was flying back and forth and i was you know my kind of average day was uh, up at 7 7:30 i'd leave the office about 11 p.m. i would go home i would do grad school work till about 3 or 4 in the morning and then i would get up at 7 and do it all again and i did that every day and it took its toll right just physically i was i was just wiped out um, and i kind of got burnt out there were some things i really wanted to do at check free um, And I took it to my boss who actually just came over. He ran all of the product groups um, over at Check Free at the time. He came out of Placemark uh, and his name was Joe Merak. And I took it to him and I said, Joe, this is what I really want to do. And, you know, if you guys are on board, great. If not, I got to go, you know, do something else because I just – didn't see, I didn't, didn't want to spin my wheels and, and really not be productive, especially kind of at that stage of my career. I just had, had a lot that I wanted to, to accomplish. Sure. So, so Joe looked at me and he's like, I love it. He's like, "But there's no way they're going to give me budget to go do this. And I was <laughs> like, I got it. I said, no problem. Um, so we kind of, you know, parted ways. I can
0: see uh, things you'll have in that conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and Joe and I got we got along great, right? And and I was just like, I, I just can't do it. And uh, so I left. So my last day, um, I, we were in a meeting out in Princeton, New Jersey. And after the meeting, he and I just went to a pub around the corner and had a, had a beer. And we were sitting at the at the bar, and we were drawing circles. And we were just kind of just talking, you know, and and just you know shooting ideas around. And we're like, hey, you know, you know what the industry needs we started, you know, just kind of throwing around ideas and brainstorming. We we're literally drawing circles on bar napkins. And, uh, and that was the, the impetus for this idea that became our next company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of just left and I said, hey, this is great, love it, appreciate all the support over the years and, and um, took off. I left, uh, Was finished up my MBA. I, got, I had got a job at a company in London um, and I was just going to go over to London and and kind of hit the reset button and try something different. And uh, I was like, hey, I've never lived outside of the U.S. Let me go try it. Uh, I was what, like 26 at the time, 26 mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, and so I, I packed up my apartment, got my visa, and the phone rang. And I answered it, and it was Joe. And he said, hey, you remember that idea we're drawing on the on the barn? <laughs> He's like, I think I got a company who who's going to back us to do it, and uh, he's like, do you, do you want to do this? And I just said no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, I was like, real I appreciate it. I was like, but I'm out. I was like, I, I'm moving to London, and and uh, I mean, I had you know, literally boxed up apartment. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, just come in. He's like, he's like, let's sit down and chat about it. And uh, so Joe and <laughs> you know Joe Joe can sell some stuff, and he sold sure. the idea to me. We. We set her out. We were at a uh, so he had just landed at a company called Bysis, um, which I don't know if <clears throat> a lot of people here will remember, but they're a big kind of um, you know kind of a, a fund admin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Bises came. Bysis funded us like a new co. Um, he convinced me to stay, and he's like, "We'll we'll build out this this kind of managed account outsourcing business." Um, there was really kind of the skeleton of what we had sketched out in that bar napkin. Yeah. Um, so we went to BISIS. we we knew they're up for sale at the time we were under the everyone was kind of under the belief that they were going to go private um, and we went over there we built this business we signed like six major deals in six months which is kind of unheard of in that, that space right they they were, right. you know the enterprise deals and it was moving we had an awesome team I was out in columbus ohio um, kind of flying back and forth between there in new york and uh, and then they got sold and, um, and they were going to, uh, our side was going to Citigroup. During that, the other side was going to JC Flowers, the, the PE uh, insurance side. So during that kind of process, or during that time, I was looking at a lot of vendors out in the space, um, kind of because Vices didn't own any technology, we just integrated things. right. And I was looking at different solutions and trying to figure out, okay, how do we actually put together the, the best wealth management system? And one of the things we realized was, you know, we had, we had APL running underneath, we had Vestmark running underneath. We're like, Hey, we really need to own the core of this from kind of a processing side yeah. of the thing, the side of the industry. And if we don't own the core, we're not really going to be able to drive it as far as we want uh, and control the variables. So during that kind of process uh, a gentleman was uh, who both Joe and I knew um, introduced us to just a random guy (laughs) that was his neighbor. And he said, "Hey, I got a neighbor. He he's, he's built something." I got a neighbor.
0: Out. Hey,
1: literally, I'm, I'm dead serious. This is what happened. He goes, "I have a neighbor." He wasn't going to believe
0: this story. Aaron, just tell me the real story. What, what yeah. really?
1: <laughs> so he, he introduces us to this to this gentleman who had, who had a small small software company. They're like a body shop, um, and they uh, I went in and I sat down with them. Joe was on the phone. I was in their office over at 420 Lex, and uh, he showed me what they built. And it turns out they were kind of this uh, engine inside the, the, the fee-based, commission-based brokerage side of Ameriprise. Mm, uh-huh. He built this really high-scale engine and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then we started going into kind of managed accounts and mutual fund wrap and wrap-directed and all those kind of segments of the industry and instead of laying them out, I'm like, could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? And he's like, no. But he's like, listen, we could do it. I just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so we went, we had dinner, uh, and it was, it, we went over dinner, Joe, myself, and this other, the other gentleman. we went and had dinner. We did a handshake deal and basically the deal was, listen, we'll teach you the industry, we'll teach you how to build this, we'll design it for you. And then you take your team and you build it and we'll, we'll go build a huge company. And that was how folio dynamics was created. Um, literally over a handshake and margaritas. Who was this guy? Uh, AJ jadoff
0: hmm. Oh, um, AJ,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that was that was how folio dynamics became to be. And uh, we, you know, we started building this thing, and uh, it was super shaky. I mean, it was. This was October. It was. I came on board. Uh, so our. So this is what happened. So our side of the devices went to Citigroup. Um, Citigroup had their own agenda, what they wanted to do. I was like, okay, this is not going to happen. So I, I quickly kind of. Uh, said, thanks, I gotta go do this. So I left, uh, kind of got the wheels going at Folio. Joe had some obligations to fulfill it at Citigroup, so he stayed on for a, little, for a while. I got Folio going, it was October 4, 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great time. Yeah, right? Perfect time. Uh, <laughs> perfect time to start a fintech company. Um, and we got things going, started launching, or started kind of building out what we wanted to do. Um, Joe came on board. I think it was t- towards the end of the year, early 2008. Um, we were like, "Hey, we're going to have to go raise some capital," and the market collapsed. Mm-hmm. And no one, we couldn't get a meeting. Right, like, it, it, the second you you get a meeting, they're like, oh, "You're in financial? What? No, not interested." Sure. Um, so we we were like, no, really, this is going to work. Like we had just complete conviction in, in it just through our years of experience. And, you know, he was at placemark and then between check-free and what we did at BISIS in a short period of time. We're like, no, oh, this, there's a real market for this. Uh, we just have to get someone to, to write us a check to help, to help go do it. Um, and we were, so we were trying to get the wheels going on the tech side and then also roll up an RIA into the business. Um, mm-hmm. And we ended up, pulling it off, uh, in August of 08, um, had someone, you know, the Edison venture partners out in Edison, New Jersey, wrote us or in Lawrence, New Jersey, wrote us a check, uh, got it going. And that was really kind of the, the first like jumpstart into folio. And then we, we were able to build that out. It was shaky. Um, you know, I, uh, it was not easy, right? We failed a lot, uh, to the point of, you know, <laughs> You know, near disaster a few times, yeah. um, but we were always able to pull it out and, and persevere, and, and we built a great business over the years with it.
0: Indeed, yeah, I mean, it was it was one of the top firms. Everyone knew about you when everyone you know you you were in the in the in the mix in a lot of business.
1: <clears throat> yeah, there were a couple of deals that I think put us on the map. You know, we won a um, large bank deal, um, and then another very large uh, <clears throat> broker dealer. Deal, mm-hmm. and I think once we shored up those and kind of put those in market, I think people it legitimatized who we were, right? And people were like, oh, these these guys are real. They they built a real business, and they can do this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was fun, you know. We had we sold it to a PE firm at the end of two thousand fourteen. Right. Um, Actually, Actua, yeah, uh, which is the old Internet Capital Group outside of Philly, um, and you know, at that time we had about 5 million individual wealth accounts on there. It was like 800 billion. We were powering. We had like 27 ish billion that we were advising on um, and managing a chunk of that. And uh, it was, you know, a hundred thousand advisors. It was, it was a large scale business. No one knew we existed, Um, (laughs) but we, you know, but that it was great. It was kind of by design, right? We just wanted to be the engine. Um, So it was fun. And we had, you know, I had some grand aspirations of what, I wanted to do post acquisition, but uh, you know there was the, the guys who who owned the bank account were, were yeah. probably less ambitious than I was.
0: Right. What and with, I I thought that deal was strange.
1: It was, yeah. I would say there was a good good crew of people, very very smart, you know, all ex operators, um, but it was effectively run like a public PE firm which is a difficult spot to be in. So we are one of four portfolio companies and you know, when you're building these businesses at, at large scale and investing heavily, reinvesting back into the business, um, it's a tough thing to show to a public market, especially with the complexities of what we are actually doing at Folio Dynamics and have that resonate in the marketplace. Um, so you know, it was, it was a tricky deal. You know, I, I actually, during the deal, I, I wanted to go after the retirement space, right. And mm-hmm. define contribution, define benefit. And I basically had lunch with them, um, with the, the, uh, two of the, two of the partners over there. I was like, listen, if you're not going to commit to me that you're going to allow us to go after the defined contribution, defined benefit space, then you know I'm not signing up for the next go. Um, so that was kind of, Oh, that's set, interesting. Yeah. So that was kind of set the tone for, for Vestwell. And I was like, listen, I want to go create Vestwell. Um, and if you're not on board to do it, then, then I'll, you got to let me walk. Um, so after a lot of, um, contentious discussion, uh, they let me kind of quietly slide out the door.
0: I can imagine that discussion.
1: Yes, there was, um, it was, it was challenging. It was one of the more stressful moments in my life. It's also, it was so hard too, because, you know, Foley Dynamics was our baby, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was, we worked so hard. I mean, to the point of like absolute disaster where I, I was going to get evicted from my apartment because I couldn't make another rent payment for, you know, mm-hmm. several months and, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going without getting paid and you're, you know, maxed out credit cards and the whole, the whole deal, right? And, and mm-hmm. kind of that, that story and that, I lived it all. And then you fought so hard, you, you know, we were able to create this great business. It was awesome. And someone was coming coming in and taking over the reins and they were going to go a direction that really I didn't see to have long-term viability for what we had actually created. Mm -hmm. And, and that was kind of my cue. Like I got to let go and I got to move on. Um, So that was hard. I remember my wife, uh, she was, you know, she was there, you know, with me through all this and, and, you know, her just kind of seeing that, that, Kind of that hurt that I was going through at the time, and I was just like, "Wow, like this is this is a tough thing to see happen." Yeah, uh, but then you just you just got to kind of learn to to move on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm noticing that. You know, i, I followed your career for yeah. We met when you were at Folio, so yeah. Yeah. I didn't know The the previous, but I, I've done Joe and all those guys, and and what I know about you is that you, when you know what you want to do, you're just going to do it, and right, and so. No matter what's in front of you and what's what obstacles are there, it seems like you, you get a thought in your mind, like the what you wanted to get into the defined benefit space. It's like well, no matter what else was going on, that's where you were. where you were going.
1: Yeah, just I I think what drove me, I think really, especially in this industry, was you know, having lived a lot of it and being you know having been on really all sides of the table over my career from. You know the wealth side to the to the tech side to the trust side to the to the wealth to the to the kind of fintech. Area. It's it's all, you know I've seen it all from all angles, and I, I I just in understanding how the ecosystem actually functions, I think is is absolutely critical to being able to build something that can can deliver what you want to deliver, right? And. and you know, whether it's success, success from a business standpoint and creating kind of a scalable business or it's success and kind of delivering an end product that's truly beneficial to everyone that, that uses it, you know, and I think that's something that really kind of set us apart. And I just saw it so clearly in my mind, what was needed in the defined contribution space that assimilated very closely to the wealth side of the equation. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I, I could fix this problem. And this problem is impacting every employed American right now. Mm-hmm. And, and not, to, not from like the grand ego, like, yeah, I can fix the world's problems, but I was like, no, there's just, there's an inherent flaw in how this works and I can help create a, a framework where people will be better off over the long haul if they continue to evolve on this framework. Not that we're going to solve, you know, all the world's problems or all the Americans problems in this space, but we can create the base for a new foundation that resets that bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what was ingrained in my mind that I could not shake.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah and, that's, and that's what I see. It's, you know, it goes back to what you were saying about what you learned at Pfizer when you said you, you learned to ask why. You know, so why don't we have a better, why don't we have better tools and technology and managed accounts? And why can't we build an outsourcer that can do this, the, the, the way we wanted to do it and you built that? And then well, why, are we, why is our 401k so hard to work with? And, you know, and what, why, why is this, why is the user experience so bad? And how can, why, why isn't someone doing a better job at this? Right.
1: Absolutely. That, that, that was it.
0: And how did you, so when you came up with the idea for Vestwell, how did that manifest itself? You know, did, where, where was, everyone like, yeah, you know, you did folio, here's a boatload of money, go build it. Or was it like, well, we don't
1: really, we're not really sure about this.
0: So yes,
1: yeah, so what happened So the end? So we sold folio at the end of 14. Um, they wanted me on board for three years. I actually negotiated six months, um, and I was like, "Listen, I'm around. I will, you know, make sure I'm here for you. You know, if you have my, if you have the bat phone number. Call me if you ever need me, and I'll, I'll fly in, right? And because uh, I wanted to make sure that they were in a good spot, right? I wasn't going to leave them high and dry. Um, but so I left and. Um, a buddy of mine, uh, who I met through the industry, uh, had just started a firm. Um, well, a little bit before, called Quovo, and uh, he was—he called in, in Lowell Putnam, and he said, "Hey, can you come help me? You know, we're we're starting to get a, a, a lot of traction, and and I need help scaling this thing." Um, so he's like, "Will you help me?" And I was like, "Listen, yeah, happy to help, um, but just so you know, I'm starting this other company." Um, so I'm going to have to go do that at some point, right? But I'll help you for for you know six months or so and get you moving or, or do whatever I can, right? They didn't need my help moving; they had a great company, but um, just kind of uh, applying some tweaks to their model. So and did that through that process, started refining what Vestwell was going to be, because um, you know I, I first came up with the idea in 2010 when we rolled out our own 401k at Foley Dynamics to our own employees you know, that's kind of, you know, festered in my mind for a long time. And then I was started really putting it on paper. Okay. What is this? What are we going to do? Um, so I started sketching this out, uh, and then floating the idea to uh, some folks in the industry that I knew, right? That ran RAs or broker dealers or trust shops. Was like, Hey, if you had access to something that looked like this Vestwell idea, would it be interesting to you? And you know, that it was a resounding yes across the board. And I was trying to figure out, okay, now where does it, where do you get the most traction and how? Um, so I started, you know, designed a deck, went out, you know, I had fortunately been through the capillaries process before. So understood kind of what was there, um, started talking to people. And yeah, it was far easier this time around than it was in the fully dynamics days. Um, a yes, because you're, you're somewhat of a proven entity, Right. You've been through it you, you fought the battles before you, you know what you need to do to to achieve success. I knew the industry right it was it was although not exactly the same it was you know very close, it was tangential to to what we had done or what industry we had been in, in Foley dynamics um, so I kind of had that in my favor also i mean the other the other side of it too is it's the the private kind of venture capital world uh is far more um, I guess has far more interest nowadays than it did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, obviously for everything that's in the press and, and you see, like there is an element of that where people it's much easier to get cash now through the venture channels than it, it was, you know, way back when when, when I had first experienced it. So you kind of had all of that going on. And then the third piece of it was, there was just the industry trade winds of what was happening in the defined contribution space that, you know, was really kind of my kickstart. Like it's got to happen now where, you know, this is when the department of labor was talking about, you know, the refinement of of the fiduciary standards and uh, where the sec was, you know, potentially going to step in and all of those things were kind of flying around. So I was able to kind of leverage all of that and and kind of take it, harness it and and then, you know, find the right investors along the way. Um, I was super um fortunate with the interest we had when we were doing this, you know, it's hard. The first check you get is always the hardest, right? Um, because oh, it's yeah. it's just an idea, right? There was zero code written. There was, it was just on paper and you're, you're getting people to write, you know, invest millions of dollars on on paper.
0: Um, because they're investing in you.
1: Yeah, they're right. And, and that's what most people do, especially at early stage, right? They're investing in a team. So um, I, I, and, circled up uh, a group of individuals that were, um, you know, had faith in me to, to go get money and, and start creating a business and I had faith in them to, to kind of do the hard work and, and, and start writing code and putting something out there that we could, you know, it wouldn't be perfect, obviously you're going to iterate it a million times, but could actually, would actually show well in that process and then say, okay, who's going to understand this in this industry and, and go after it. So um, what I ended up doing, we did the, we did an angel round that rolled into um, the seed round. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were really fortunate. And I had really kind of one early stage FinTech investor, um, you know, the FinTech Collective uh, who led the round. Um, we had uh, F Prime, who is who is the venture arm of Fidelity, um, who obviously had deep knowledge of, of the retirement industry, you know, and they're kind of the, the kings in the space, if you will, or queens, or however you want to frame it. And then we had um, um, another kind of West Coast centric B two B. Uh, investor of commerce ventures, um, and then primary ventures uh, here in New York. Who's more of a generalist, and, and a good portion of their their portfolio is allocated to kind of B two B enterprise type structures. Um, so I kind of had an interesting view of like someone with deep industry knowledge, someone understood fintech, someone understood the the the, the kind of fintech B two B landscape from a West Coast centric mind, and someone who is kind of a broad oversight. Uh, generalist, if you would. Um, So it it brought together a good crew of of minds that I was really happy and fortunate to have around us.
0: Yeah, those guys, those guys know what they're talking about. And they can, they're more than just passive investors, they can actually help you with the business.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they were, uh, it's, I can't tell you how supportive these guys are. and, 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 and gals And around the table and they are truly my first phone call when I have a question or so something shaping up that I don't quite like the way it looks. Um, and I'm just trying to think through all the permutations of what, you know, how we should be approaching it. Uh, it's really been awesome. It's to have that support where like, no, we get it, you know, and and it's also people who really understanding you you look at our cap table and you look at the investors, they are people who are, you really understand this space. Um, and that's by design, right? Uh, I don't know, call it old age or impatience or 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 what, but uh, I did, had no interest in working with investors who really didn't understand this landscape, especially as it pertains to kind of not only retirement, but, but really uh, how financial advisors work, uh, because it's absolutely critical to, um, I, I think, to our long-term success and, and the path that we've set forth.
0: If you have to explain to your investor what an advisor is and what their motivation is, they're not on the same page as you are in terms of what the business has got to do.
1: Oh, Craig, okay. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had like that over the year where I was talking to potential investors and, and they, um, especially, you know, not to knock our, our friends on the, on the other coast, but um, but there are investors on the, on the other coast. They have a different mindset, right? They're just like, hey, don't worry about profitability. Just, just acquire users, acquire traction. And, and I've been on calls where they're like, tell me what a financial advisor does. And I literally, you know, Ah. have to cut the conversation and be like, listen, this is not going to be worth any of our time right now. Sure. Uh, So let's just, you know, you guys are thinking about things in a different way and that's great and I'm sure you'd be wildly successful, but this is the way that that we're going after this industry.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's been the case. I mean, I've heard that from many uh, founders. It's the East coast, West coast mentality where the West coast just want to flip uh, and the East coast are building the business.
1: They're just different. I mean, you know, a consumer facing model is, is very different. Um, the way I kind of break down is like, this is, although it's financial technology, right? It's, it's ultimately there to support financial services and in financial services, I truly believe that you have to have a profitable, scalable kind of viable business that can stand on its own. And if you don't have that and, and, and you can't create that with, you know, some, some amount of cash, obviously, because it's, it's a wide lift, right? You have to, the whole system has to be baked ultimately before you can put it in market. Um, if you don't have that mindset, you don't have a model and a business that can achieve that, then you're going to find yourself in a really hard spot later on, you know? And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope everyone in this industry is really successful, but because I think if when there is failure, it just puts a, another another black mark or another stain on all of us, right? That that no one in this industry needs. And and this is about providing a service and we have to instill trust and, and trust is the 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 most important factor in this industry. And when you, you you know you it's very easy to lose that trust and when you do that, then ultimately people end up feeling the pain of that over the course of their life, right? By not being able to invest or save properly. So um, so we gotta build it the right way ultimately and that's how I view the right way of of building a framework for a business like this looks like
0: i want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors the invest in others foundation invest in others is a nonprofit. you can find them at investinothers.org and they look to raise money and give out donations or they give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors so it's financial advisors uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So, Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry, and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this, this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, Another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. So what other I was doing some research on you even though I know you pretty well still thought I'd do a little bit of research and one of your other interviews you talked about advice for starting your own business and you've done this this is the third third time right so you've got some you got a good track record and you you've you've learned what to do and when what not to do as you said so you mentioned uh, in this interview that business is always more expensive than you expect so what are people expecting and and how does that cause businesses to fail
1: Yeah I mean it's an expensive industry, especially like I look at just as it pertains to Vestwell, right? It's a very wide platform, right? And there has to be depth there, right? Because we're solving, we're not just solving for one equation or one user persona or one types of use case, right? We have to solve for an asset manager that ties to a home office that ties to a an advisor that ties to a sponsor that ties to an employee and everyone that's moving around that ecosystem, right? And then everything that happens in the background from record keeping to to uh, to custody, to trust, to execution in the brokerage channel. I mean, those, those are all moving parts, right? And if, if one of those breaks down, the business falls, right? So you have to really account for that. And those are a lot, it's, it's a wide thing to, to build. Right. And it's expensive. And it's also a mature industry. Right. So there's already a, um, there's already a mindset or an understanding of how the industry uh, needs to work. So you have to take that into account and, and you can't be naive or egotistical that like, Hey, you know better than, than the next person and that, you know, the industry doesn't need to, to function that way. There are inherent parts of this that you have to be cognizant of it and doing that. So all of that adds up, right? It creates time and, and money and, and people are expensive, right? Especially nowadays, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, it's exactly. by far the most expensive thing you'll have, you know, in, in your business. So I think just accounting for that and being uh, conscious of your spend, we're, we're very conservative in how we spend, um, you know, to, a, to a point where, even sometimes our investors just say, Hey, just, just spend the money, just go, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't worry about it. Um, but I think you have to be, cause if you, it's very easy, you know, you, can you see companies all the time blow through cash and sure. uh, you know, if they haven't got to those proof points that are needed in the business, it's hard to get that ne- next check. And you know, I always think I, the way I think about it is like, well, I don't want another check, right? How do, mm-hmm. how do we create this? So it's profitable. And it's just standing on its own. So, um, being conscious of those things I think is very important to, to ultimate long-term success and viability of a business.
0: All good advice that founders or people who are considering being founders should take. Um, moving into a different phase of the interview, I've got some questions for you that are more personality questions, motivation questions. Um, so what has become more important to you in your personal life over the past few years?
1: Um, I, I mean, the, the biggest thing is my son. Um, so we had get a little boy, he is almost three, uh, and he is absolutely awesome. And just, just a hilarious, just fantastically dispositioned, you know, happy kid. And, uh, so that's been a lot of fun. So that, that's a huge, um, shift. Right. And And as you know, right. The, the, <clears throat> I, the, the second you, you have kids, you know, all of a sudden you're no longer a priority. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you take a backseat. So, um, and both my wife and I work ob- in obscene hours. Sure. Uh, so it's, it's hard to take two individuals who are incredibly driven and, and going a thousand miles an hour at all times to, to stop and say, wait, we got to We got to shift gears and reallocate and, uh, I think that the biggest change, you know, obviously you allocate all the time in the world or as much as you can to to your kids, but um, you know, being that it's no longer your time, right? It's no longer on your schedule. That's a hard thing to adjust to. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know. It doesn't
0: matter. nothing anymore. It's now what's, what's your son's schedule.
1: Right. Right. So you, yeah. you And you know, my both, both my wife and I, you know, were super efficient individuals. Um, but then you have to adjust your game, right? It's just, you got to say, okay, well, I don't have the pocket of time here anymore because of, you know, whatever reason, right? So I got to shift it and I'll find it somewhere else. So you you have to create that time, uh, when doing
0: that. Now you had your son around the time you started Vestwells. Isn't that true?
1: Yes. Yes. Which (laughs) seems seems crazy.
0: (laughs) Another (laughs) advice, more advice for founders. Don't have a, just don't have a child at the same time you're founding a company. Uh, it was. Uh, I mean, it, it was funny because
1: part of me, it was it was great motivation because I was on the clock, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was like, listen, okay, th- this kid's coming, and <laughs> I I have to get this thing out the door uh, because it's going to get even more challenging really quickly. Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of an interesting motivating factor, yeah. uh, and then so we actually put our own plan on best. Well, we were our own, you know, guinea pig, if you will. Uh, And uh, my wife gave birth to our son the same week. Um, And that was, I still get a hard time from her for it because I, I, you know, I stayed home for I think three or four days uh, and then I was back in the office. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, it was really hard. And, but it it was kind of like, well. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's not like I had a, a large support team around me. You know, there was, a, there was less than a handful of us. Um, so you just had to kind of make do, and I juggled what I could, and, and I was up all hours, and, you know, I was the one up at all night with uh, mm-hmm. with the little guy, and uh, yeah. it was, you know, you make it work. It's amazing what your body can do when you, <laughs> you don't have a choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, do you think that, that being in a startup before and working all kinds of crazy hours is good, training for having a kid
1: yeah and so that was part of it you know what i would i would probably also say that grad school was was my training mm-hmm. ground for it doing you know when i was at check free and i was i was working late and i was i was up all night studying and that was when i i could i i understood what my body was capable of mm-hmm. right and you you know the physical aspects too right and playing sports your whole life and and you know where you can be, but then you kind of see, okay, how is my body going to react at this age? <laughs> it's
0: not, maybe you <laughs> yeah. just do it. So, having been through three rounds of startups and foundings, and and being an entrepreneur, so how do you stay motivated now, and how do you keep that spirit going? So, you know, the, 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 there's different motivating
1: factors at different points, right? Um, with this, there's a couple things. Um, with Vespa. so it's it's one we're we're solving a, really a problem that impacts every employed American um, and every business across the country, and and you know one of the the core things that I love the most is that every person that touches our platform is better off than without, and and that's that's a great thing, right? When you can you can see it not only from you know, solving how advisors engage because, you know, we're huge fans of advisors and, and how they, how they work and what they're doing. And, um, you know, a few bad apples kind of spoil a bunch of times, but there, there are, you know, as you know, you know, thousands of advisors. I mean, they're, they're awesome. Right. And they're really trying to do good. And when you can help them and thereby help their clients and then help their, their employees, that's awesome. Right. And then you, you know, you, you can see the long term impacts of that, you know, over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the number one motivating thing. The second thing is, you know, some of my investors will say this, like they, I'm a highly, highly competitive person that just refuses to to fail at anything. I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, so I'm one of those people, like, I love the pressure. I I love being thrown into it and just like, I'm going to figure this out. And and make sure that that we're all better off right and you know kind of you know if i have to put everyone on my back and carry them i'm fine doing that um and i think that's that's the other thing right i I just want to go do it um and i also just think that this this world i mean you we have very short you know time on this on this planet right and the the i just feel like there's a world of things i want to help accomplish um that i'm going to be able to achieve it all but but I'm going to set the bar really high and and try to go do it and and add whatever impact I can, you know, across, across the world. Um, You know, and this is, I guess, US centric obviously, but um, like I said, this is creates a framework that I think a lot of people can build from Um, and it'll change over time. And I hope it does change. Right. But if we can help just, just reset that bar, I think we're doing, doing a better, you know, for this world. I, you know, I have friends who started businesses that, you know, they're super smart individuals uh, and, and you know, they're great friends, but I just think their businesses are fluff uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And that really- Who would that be
0: exactly? What's that? I'm just kidding. I was going to say, so who are these people with fluff businesses?
1: <laughs> I can't name names, but they know. I mean, I've, I've told them to their face. They, they're well aware. Um, and I'm just like, you know, you, you especially when you see someone who's so talented, I'm like, why waste your time with something that- just doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if you, if you're capable, it's like, Hey, then do something that that people are all going to benefit from because not everyone is capable of it. Right. So, so let's try to try to help out and, you know, leave this place better than, than
0: when we got here. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So now you, again, you've you've done a number of startups and one of the biggest parts, as, as you mentioned, the biggest expenses of a startup is the people, but also the biggest, um, the biggest uh, you know, parameters or the characteristics of a good firm is, is the people that are there. The, the first people you hire are some of the most important people to determine whether you will succeed or fail. So how do you identify people that will be a good fit at Vestwell, for example?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, right? People are hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, sure. you know, and it's, uh, it's hard to get a
0: feeling for people if you haven't been with them for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, and too, like I, I mean, just personally, I'm—I'll be the first to admit, like, I don't think I'm a great manager, right? Uh, I I can lead teams and and you know I love kind of you know being a captain if you will of a team and, and going right, um, but I don't like dealing with all the other things that come with it. Right? Um, and it you know I guess through experience, you know, I've hired a lot of people over the years, I've interviewed a ton of people, right, and you, you learn, right. Who you work well with, who's going to play a certain role really well. Um, you, you know, you have to put people around you that you trust. Uh, I will say like, I like our management team or our senior leadership team, they're just phenomenal. Right. And I just, I can fully trust them to do what they need to do. Um, and I don't have to, to kind of keep a, a, you know, just a constant, like, you know, I, I don't know, micromanagement eye on them. Um, that's huge, right? Because you have to scale and you have to go and you're all doing a lot and you're doing a lot at once. Um, So you got to trust your team members. They're doing the right thing and that they're gonna They have your back in the process. So uh, I think that's important, right? So you have to interview for that and find certain roles. And I'll also say that there are people who are very good at certain stages of businesses um, that don't always, that doesn't always translate to different stages, right? Um, like people could come in and do very early, early, you know, groundwork in a seed stage that, you know, by the time you get to a series B, it's not for them. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also just recognizing who you are and, and, you know, who the team members are and where they add the most value Mm -hmm. and, and giving them kind of, um, I I guess directive or or milestones to hit, to make sure that we're achieving that because, you know, the business is going to change over time. Um, And I think that's important. It's hard because there's times, you know, I've hired people that I really, I really like and value as a person or I really want them to work because I just, I think they're, they're great in so many ways, but they just don't have a certain skill or a certain adaptability that is needed for a particular role at a particular time. Those are the hardest ones. Right. It's like, I'm giving you every chance here to go to get after it. And it's just not coming together and you're not connecting the dots. Right. And, yeah. and then, you know, you, you have to let go of those people or, or, you know, find a way to to go other directions. So, um, it's hard. You, I think you just have to get good. We have, you know, we have talent, um, you know, primary actually, uh, venture partners, um, early days. We, we leverage kind of their in-house talent, um, leaders to help us, Create kind of that culture of not only how to interview people, uh, how to test for the appropriate things, how to um, to look at certain personality traits, um, and make those assessments. Would quite you know a lot of people just don't know these things, right? They've never, especially people who are like younger folks who are like you know just do startup world or whatnot. They just don't know that, right? They've never been on an, on the other side or in a different type of organization. So you actually, I probably underestimated how much you have to teach people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a process, right? And making sure, hey, not everyone actually thinks this way or understands this because they haven't lived it. Uh, so yeah. you, you have to kind of in, in, ingrain that in people's minds, which is, you know, can be harder than you would like at times.
0: What is your morning routine? So you, you've, you've obviously refined it a bit since in the last three years, how, how your, your routine now is a bit different than it was before you had, a, you had a kid. But what do you do during the first 60, 90 minutes of your day? To get things going well so i'm going to leave the current
1: few months out because we're in the midst of moving houses and renovations and all that so it's a whole that nother, a whole another chunk of, of obstacles thrown in my life in the morning mm-hmm. um but typically you know i'm usually up kind of depending on on where i am if i'm at our, our, our house in westchester and connecticut you know i'm up somewhere between you know five and six uh i I get, I'm usually up showered, you know, dog fed, taken care of by the time my son gets out of bed Then he gets up, get him ready, feed him. Uh, I take him to school usually uh, depending on, on, kind of my first meeting. So I'll drop him off at school uh, and then I shoot over to the train station and then, and then to the office. So that's kind of my routine. Obviously there's emails in there to the point that my wife always yells at me to get off my phone <laughs> uh, and, and my son yells at me to get off yeah. my phone which is not something you want. Um, no. <laughs> but he's like, daddy, no I'll phone. i feel bad yet. about that later. Oh, God, I feel when he's bad. in therapy,
0: my dad was always on his phone. I was-
1: I, I've actually really tried to, I, I do try to make a conscious effort to stay off it for, for chunks of the day, right? And I'll put it on airplane mode or whatnot. Uh, and and I, usually in the morning, I'll just check it quickly, kind of, okay, are there any fires I need to worry about? If not, you know, I'll deal with the rest of it on the train or whatnot in hmm. the morning. Um, and then I hop on the train and then usually on the train, it's just emails. Um, I do a lot of my like 15, five management reviews, things like that. Uh, I kind of knock out on the train, uh, things that are, you know, not a a huge lift. Um, and then when I get to the office and it's just kind of at it.
0: So what, so being in the industry for as long as you've been and going through the whole startup, uh, process as many times as you've gone through, what, what's bad, what kind of bad advice do you hear being given out most often?
1: Bad advice given out most often. Huh?
0: Or any bad advice you've heard yeah. given out.
1: You know, uh, the kind of, I mean, the, the advice I hate is they kind of, the one I mentioned earlier when people are like, oh, don't worry about the revenue or don't worry about, um, don't worry about the, the money side, like the revenue, the inbound side, you know, just worry about users or worry about this or that. And I don't think you can worry about one and not the other. Um I know you gotta people in businesses have to stay focused at certain stages, but but building, you know, a, a real business from the day one I think is important. And because if you don't think about those things to or people are like, we'll figure it out later, like I I, I just think you're setting yourself up to fail. Um, so that I really don't like that advice. I think the other one is um when I've been, you know, there's been people that have come in this office that are like, oh, you should go direct and you should, you know, go after, you know, the Fidelities of the world and the Schwabs of the world and so on and go compete Mm -hmm. with them. And I'm like, I'm like, to me, I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that. A, that's not in our DNA. Mm -hmm. And and B, it's it's like, I don't want to go do that. I want to work with them. I want to help empower them in, in other ways that, you know, they're, you know, they're great. It, those are great businesses, but there's things that, you know, they could use help with. So, so I want to help be that, that party that's in there. Um, so I think those are kind of two things that I guess initially come to mind for kind of that advice side.
0: So you mentioned uh, failure and, and having failed and everyone fails. And one of the questions I like to ask, and I find to get the most interesting answers is you learn more from your failures and your successes. So what's your favorite failure that you've learned the most from? So
1: at Folio Dynamics, we went really hard, really fast and probably, you know, I know we didn't pay enough attention to some of the finer architecture details in the early days. Um, that became a very expensive fix for us. So it was like three years in, like the wheels kind of fell off of that business. And that fell off, but they got really shaky. Um, and, that was a very hard fix, and it, like I said, it was very expensive. Um, from day one here, I just ingrained in not only kind of the team but also our investors, like we're doing this right, and we're not going to, um, you know, do this in a wild west fashion to a degree, right? Not that Folio is in a wild west, but but we just didn't pay a high level of scrutiny as we should have at times. Um, So one of the, the, from day zero and the first guys on the team, um, he was a, you know, senior cloud infrastructure, you know, architecture security guy from SunGuard. And um, I brought him on the very beginning and our investors are like, why is this person part of this, you know, initial crew? (laughs) <laughs> and
0: and they what gave you he here.
1: Yeah, and they gave me a lot of flack for it. And I was like, listen, I said the, the, the companies we're gonna deal with and these institutions we're gonna work with and what we're building and the level of security and, and you know, everything around you know, cybersecurity to uh, just overall user security and architecture and scale is critical and it's too expensive to fix it later. So, you know, cause you need some scrappy people, but you also need the kind of, the folks that have been there have done that,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: So we-, we Enterprise
0: architecture up, people.
1: Yeah, we invested up front to do that. And it, pay, it has paid off in spades, right? And, and when I look at the diligence that, and the procurement processes that we've sailed through for, you know, the some of the likes of the public ones, you know, like BNY Mellon, right? And being able to get through their their procurement process at, at such an early stage of a company is almost unheard of and you know we got the full exam right and, and doing that it's great you know we do pen tests and you know we're finishing up our SOC too and you know those are things that 10 years ago you just didn't do right or, or you did it later um, right. now we're like no, we're doing this right now and we're going to invest the capital to do it and yes it's, it's an expense out the door but it is worth it for, for you know where we need to be as a business.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's another good example of what you have learned the hard way
1: yeah just i fail every day at
0: something <laughs> that, that was one of the more expensive ones though a lot of learning when yeah. you, when um, uh, another good question i i find is interesting is is uh do you give out books uh, as gifts to people and if you do what books what book or books have you gifted most often
1: oh it's interesting so um i used to give up books not as much anymore more because i i just don't have time to read anymore (laughs) Uh i i still read right but but not nearly to the level that i used to just because there's there's always something and and i think by the time i'm done you know firing off you know hundreds of emails a day i'm just like okay i I can't read another thing right now um (laughs) But I, So my favorite book um, that I've actually given out a lot uh, that, that I love is, is uh, A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Oh, interesting. Uh, I really, you know, I, I'm a kind of a physics geek. Uh, I love that side of it. I just think it's an interesting view of, um, you know, how some of these things come together. And, you know, when you time math and obviously the the heavyweight and physics in there and kind of think about it from a grander scale, uh, I think it's pretty interesting. So I like that. You know, there's there's business books that I've given out, you know, like uh, that I think are interesting at certain times and you can glean certain things from it, you know, like zero to one and um, some of those sort of things. But uh, but I, I tend to think those get dilutive in a lot of ways and, and, mm-hmm. and people can't necessarily take it. I, it's hard to, I think when... I'm fortunate because I've lived through a lot of it where I've been able to glean certain things and then just ignore others. Um, and what's the one I'm reading now? The, um, uh, the, the Reed, uh, Reed's book.
0: Oh, Reed Hoffman's book.
1: Yeah.
0: Is it, is it his new book?
1: Uh, I can't remember. It's sitting in my bag. Is
0: it masters of scale?
1: No. Ah, it doesn't matter. Um, um, but it's it, you know, scaling What's that? Blitz scaling? About scaling. Yeah, and so oh, blitz scaling. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and the blitz scaling, and there's there's certain things. Like, yeah, sure, I get that, but it it does that doesn't apply to everything. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah. You know, Serving millions of uh, direct to consumer you know consumers on your website.
1: Yeah, it's it's different business models, and I I see you know certain team members kind of hand out books like that. And I'm like, I'll kind of give them a warning. Like here are things that you need to quickly set in your mind. that are not applicable. <laughs> moment, right? Right. Uh, Cause if I go raise hundreds and hundreds of millions then I'm doing something wrong.
0: Exactly. Uh, all right. So just a couple more questions. I know we're running out of time. What, sure, sure. um, what is you uh, do you have a favorite app that you found recently to be really helpful or make your life more efficient?
1: Oh yes. Uh, superhuman, superhuman, superhuman. Are you describing
0: uh, yourself or are you talking about an, <laughs> I
1: wish it is, uh, it is a mail, an email app actually. Um, and uh, one of our investors turned me on to it. Um, he met the founder and he's like, Hey, you know, try this. Cause I get, you know, I probably get, there's days I get upwards of, you know, a thousand emails a day. Um, sure. and I, I literally read all of them. Uh, I don't respond to all of them, but I, I, hope
0: <laughs> I've read just, you know, I've read your email, but I may not yeah. respond.
1: To it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, that happens frequently. Right. Uh, but it is a super efficient way to get through email um, and kind of kick it out where you're like, Hey, remind me in two hours or remind me, you know, at eight o'clock tonight after, you know, the little guy goes to bed and I have a minute to, to circle back to it and apply the thought needed um, account. It's really, it's, it's a very efficient email. I get to, I almost get to inbox zero every day. Um that's kind of my my goal.
0: <laughs> that is superhuman. I can't imagine that. I got I got eighty-five in my inbox now, just since we started talking.
1: Yeah, no, it's hard, right? It it it's almost it creates anxiety in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. I look at I look at my wife's email, she's not one that does it. She'll have like, you know, a hundred thousand plus emails. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like i I I need to go and to fix that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me help you.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: Wow. Uh, that's an excellent one. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think hopefully we'll get we'll get a lot of downloads from this. Um, it's not so, cheap, but it's worth it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to get right on that as soon as we're off this call. What? Um, so last question. What message would you send to your 25 year old self? Uh,
1: I think. I think the biggest message I would send to myself is is let the small fires burn and, import, and focus on the important stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's one thing that I've been able to take from previous lives is, you know, things that you, you used to get worried about, And this just comes with maturity, right? And, and you know, you know this, and I think everyone kind of experiences this to a degree over time, but there are things in life when you're 25 that you think are super important mm-hmm. um, or, the, you know, just the world's collapse or whatever it is. And, you know, the later you get in life, you're like, eh, I'm not going to worry about that. And you let it roll off your back. You're like, here's where I'm going to focus because this actually has a bigger impact in the long run. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Now, how do you discern that at a young age? You know, that's a harder thing. Um, but I think just kind of being cognizant of that and, and, and realizing maybe I could let this thing go and not, not burn a gazillion hours trying to fix something that has no impact.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like let the, you know let the small fires burn is like uh, don't sweat the small stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of ways like hey, it, it'll be there, you can fix it later, the, the world's not going to burn down in the process.
0: And there you go. That's it's also good good for people who are over anxious or letting, letting letting social media or other other aspects get to them and kind of control their lives.
1: Yeah, you can't, right? You have to you have to ignore those things. So, like I I I've gotten rid of like Instagram, right? I, and and Cause I would just look at it. I'm like, this is just a waste of time. I'm not going to think about this at all. Right. Um, and you know, I, I kind of keep my life very focused on business, probably to a fault, but, but that's mm-hmm. where the importance lies for me. Right. It's, I, family and business is about it. And you, you have to kind of drop the other thing, so, you know, family business,
0: that's else. Yeah. <laughs> family, family, business and drop everything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's it. Right. I, mm-hmm. I have time for those two things in my life. Um, so anyway, it, it, things change at different points in your life. right? But just being cognizant of that is important.
0: And uh, indeed, I think if more people felt that way would they would definitely be a lot less stressed about, about the way life is going now.
1: Yeah. Or you just, you're going to stress about the important stuff, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there's always stress.
0: right? It's going to hit you somewhere else. But. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to wrap things up because this was, we've gone over time and you've been very gracious with your time, Aaron. Thanks so much um, for, for being here. This was a fantastic interview. Hope, uh, I hope got, I got a lot out of it and I hope a lot of people who don't know you as well as I do got a lot out of it as well.
1: No, thank you. Thank you. It was fun. I enjoyed the time and, and appreciate you doing this with me.
0: You're welcome. Hey, it's Craig again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Aaron Shum as a winner of Wealth Tech. I appreciate you listening. Please leave me a comment if you have one about this episode. And also, remember to hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Hope you're doing well, and I will talk to you next week.